Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. As crazy as things are right now, the week is moving at a pretty good pace here. Let's knock on wood and hope that that continues. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis today, Jim, and we're going to be talking a lot about uh, Democratic women in the uh, first couple martinis here. And let's start with Kirsten Cinema. It doesn't seem like that long ago because it wasn't that long ago when we were in 2018 and we were pointing out that she was the pink tutu anti-war girl and how dare we uh, have anybody who thinks that with that kind of background she belongs in the U.S. Senate. Well, if we're going to have a Democrat in that seat, we might be pretty grateful that it's Kirsten Cinema. Obviously, if it was Martha McSally or somebody else on the Republican side, we wouldn't be having this uh, nail-biting uh, effort over the filibuster. But basically, two Senate Democrats have said, uh, no, we're not scrapping the filibuster. Joe Manchin's one. Cinema's the other. A few more remain on the fence, like Chris Coons of Delaware. But Cinema is actually emerging as the staunchest ally of keeping the filibuster here, even more so than Manchin. Because remember, uh, Manchin uh, came out before the Georgia runoffs and said, oh, I'm, I'm not changing this stuff or court packing or anything else. And then uh, as soon as some nominations came up and uh, uh, legislation that he likes that will never get to 60 votes came up, he's like, well, maybe we'll reform it. We got to do an all talky thing or we'll do something to maybe reform it so uh, they, the minority can't stop everything. Not so with Kirsten Cinema. Uh, she is taking a ton of heat from Arizona Libs and beyond about her refusal to change the filibuster at all. There's a story about it in The Hill, Jim, and this is the paragraph that really uh, strikes me. It says, although Manchin has said he is willing to reform the filibuster but not completely do away with it, Cinema has said she does not want to change the filibuster at all. Quote, while eliminating the filibuster may result in some short-term legislative gains, it would deepen partisan divisions and sacrifice the long-term health of our government, is something she's previously said about the issue. Now, as pressure mounts, we've seen politicians wilt in the past. So far, she hasn't done it. And Jim, as long as she's getting all this heat from the left, uh, maybe a couple of guys from the right ought to be out there saying, you know what, Kirsten Cinema, You're taking some slings and arrows for this, but you're doing the right thing, and we appreciate you for it. Yeah, and I guess this is a more pleasant surprise because Joe Manchin, well, he's from West Virginia. You know, West Virginia is a state that Donald Trump won by like 30, 40 points and stuff. And when you look at the members of Congress who deviate from their parties, usually there is a geographical reason for it. There was a time in, you know, not, I, I'm old enough to remember when there were a decent number of uh, New England Republicans, uh, not just Susan Collins, but also Olympia Snow. Um, was it Simmons? Was he was the the House member from Connecticut? Uh, you, know, you had a couple of Republicans here and there in New England, and you know Scott Brown was there for uh, one term, and so it was this. You know, you, okay, so you had relatively blue, relatively liberal parts of the country, but every once in a while would send a certain Republican there. Uh, slightly different, but I can think of like Marge Rockama. Um, up in the Northeast, um, Connie Morella. Uh, you can think of moderate Republicans and they were moderate in part because that's what they believe, but also that was because that's what their uh, constituents largely uh, believed. Um, you know, uh, Tom Davis in, uh, in, in Virginia, right? So you, in some places it's okay, you kind of expect that. I'm never expecting Susan Collins to be the most conservative member of the US Senate. And I'm fine with that. That's about as good as you're gonna get out of Maine. 
And similarly, if Joe Manchin represents West Virginia, he's never going to be on the most progressive side of his of the Democratic caucus. And I think what we have seen, though, is that he took over Robert Byrd's old seat. And then, you know, what Robert Byrd stood for more than anything else, other than maybe the Klan, uh, is the idea that the entire federal government should be relocated to West Virginia. <laughs> and it should be named after Robert Byrd. That was, you know, the core principle of his, uh, the cornerstone, you could say, of his career in the Senate. Uh, Joe Manchin is the kind of guy who is going to generally not agree with what the Biden administration wants to do, at least in the cultural aspects, at least in the socially liberal or woke aspects. But if you put throw enough money at his state, he's probably going to figure out some way to live with his disagreements. Now, up until fairly recently, Arizona was seen as a very, very Republican state. But as we've seen in a bunch of these Sunbelt states, they're getting very suburban. And I think there are certain types of Republicanism that sell very well in the suburbs and there's certain types that don't. And I think it's, you know, fairly clear after 2018 and 2020 that Trumpism just doesn't sell that well in the suburbs. Uh, And that's a lot of what you can explain to what happened in Michigan uh, to a certain extent, definitely in Georgia and in Arizona. So Kirsten Sinema, if you want to characterize Arizona as being a mostly... Uh, purple state and having a, you know, utterly asinine state Republican party that is spending time denouncing Doug Ducey, the only Republican statewide uh, uh, elected official, I think that's, that's still there. Um, that theoretically Kirsten Cinema would be able, could go pretty far to the left and still save herself and, you know, still have a decent chance of being reelected, uh, you know, when she runs again. That apparently is not, you know, but she's apparently she's, I can't believe much to our shock, Greg, she means what she says that she's not, you know, her statement of, I don't think we should alter the filibuster was not, I oppose this until you give enough money to my state. <laughs> you know, she actually meant it. And that's really terrific. She's already getting enormous, furious pushback. Uh, apparently the former code pink um, activist and, uh, uh, you know, apparently she's been a closet conservative this whole time, or at least that's what the progressive uh, groups out in Arizona would tell you. Yeah, that's they're furious at her. So they're trying to say she's a turncoat. Look, I don't think there's a, an item on the Democrats legislative agenda that she's not for with maybe some very limited exceptions, but she's insistent on keeping the process the same. And it's just interesting that you mentioned Robert Byrd, who was the stickler for process. Uh, Remember, he fought the line item veto and other things. If he were still in the Senate, he'd be horrified at the idea of uh, of gutting the filibuster. But who thought that Robert Byrd of pocket watch, three-piece suits and so forth, uh, his heir apparent ideologically in the Senate would be be Kirsten Sinema in her furry boots on the Senate floor. But... uh, (laughs) You know, times change. Uh, and, I don't and- think we'll be seeing her playing Confederate generals in Civil War <laughs> movies. No, no, that's definitely a part of the bird legacy that we don't want to see continued. Um, much of the bird legacy we don't want to see continued. But he was right about that. Uh, and hopefully Kirsten Cinema will uh, will stick to her guns on this. There's a lot of pressure on her, and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see her wilt. But so far, uh, she's standing strong. So so good for you, Kirsten. And conservatives ought to uh, shout that out when it when we see it. So uh, Kirsten Cinema taking a lot of heat, Jim. But uh, hopefully, uh, while all the slings and arrows head her way, she can uh, sleep well at night, maybe on a my pillow. And uh, hopefully, she knows that uh, my pillow has given the same attention that they've given to their pillows to their towels. In fact, right now, three more. Martini Lunch listeners can get two of the six-piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping. MyPillow towels have a proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They are soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. 
They're washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. I love the MyPillow towels. I mean, these things are big, they're fluffy, they dry you very, very quickly. Uh, best towels I think I've ever had. I think I can say that pretty definitively. The single six-piece set includes uh, two bath towels, 30 inches by 56. I mean, those are good-sized. Two-pack of hand towels, two-pack of washcloths, and all you have to do is go to MyPillow.com to learn more and to order right now. Three Martini Lunch listeners, again, all six-piece towel sets. Buy two for one low price and free shipping. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or when you call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for two six-piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping. All right. There's a lady senator from Arizona who's doing a good job of standing up for the rules. There's a lady senator from New York who's not going to get such high praise from us today on the Three Martini Lunch. Kirsten Gillibrand putting into words, and really only a few words on Twitter today, Jim, just how dishonest the Democrats are. We talked about how COVID relief didn't have much to do with COVID relief, and we've talked about how the infrastructure bill doesn't have a lot to do with infrastructure. There's some in there. But really, it's a Democratic uh, wish list grab bag that they're trying to just shoehorn in there while they can with uh, this reconciliation ruling from the parliamentarian and so forth. And so Kirsten Gillibrand today tweets out three simple phrases. Paid leave is infrastructure. Child care is infrastructure. Caregiving is infrastructure. And of course, our response to that is, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Those things are important. Those are things that uh, many families have to deal with. You know, they'd like maybe some tax incentives or other other things to help them deal with those costs because uh, childcare can certainly be expensive, especially once uh, you know daycare centers are back open and so forth. And caregiving certainly for older relatives can be very expensive as well. So uh, addressing that in some way that's advantageous to families would be good. But infrastructure has a pretty clear meaning. You've got your physical infrastructure. You've got your uh, digital infrastructure, your power grid infrastructure. I mean, these things are concrete, tangible things, airports and so forth. I mean, uh, this is not complicated, but the Democrats, of course, are going to make it complicated so they can cram everything in there that they want to. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can, I, I guess this stems from the argument about whether broadband counts as infrastructure, right? And I guess you're mostly used to, you know, people think of infrastructure as something tangible, right? You know, whole bunch of wireless towers in a new area, probably, but then you're building it. I think that's an you know, a, a acceptable definition, even if it doesn't fit maybe some people's traditional concepts of it. But when she goes off and insists, paid leave is infrastructure, childcare is infrastructure, caregiving is infrastructure. Greg, I don't know if you've had a chance to take the girls, but probably one of my favorite movie going experiences in recent years with my sons was the Lego movie. For a lot of reasons, but one of them was they had this insanely mind-alteringly catchy song called Everything is Awesome. <laughs> and if you've heard it, it is, yeah, I don't need to sing it for you because it's stuck in your head, but you probably remember. And you can just kind of picture Kirsten Gillibrand somehow being reduced to being yellow and having giant mittens for hands or something. And just kind of <laughs> dancing around and insisting that everything is infrastructure. Things, dogs, clogs, they're infrastructure, rocks, clocks. And socks, their infrastructure, figs and wigs and twigs, infrastructure. You, everything you see or think or say is infrastructure. That's where we are right now. Everything is infrastructure. And that's not really how you, you know, we, we know why they're doing this is because infrastructure is a fairly popular, relatively bipartisan idea. You can find a lot of Republicans who aren't really big fans of spending bills who can look at everything from 
airports to highways to bridges to all kinds of, you know, all kinds of ways of getting stuff from one side of the country to the other and saying, yeah, okay, we could probably use that. You can find places there. I, I get tired of our crumbling infrastructure being cited every single time we have a massive spending bill. And if you actually look at it, because remember we spent a whole bunch of money on the stimulus back in 2009, 2010, that was supposed to take care of our crumbling infrastructure. And then we did what was a T21? Like we, we passed a whole bunch of appropriation bills to address our crumbling infrastructure. And then one, two years later, the same lawmakers always come back and say, our, we need to finally address our crumbling roads and bridges. Whoa, 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 I thought we just did that. And they never want to acknowledge this sort of thing. But in this case, what Kirsten Gillibrand is doing is, is if there's some of my, my colleague, Charlie Cook, has a really good at spotting this trend in which, you know, how often you will see a Democrat, usually a Democratic lawmaker, but sometimes an activist or, or, you know, talking head or something like that. And they'll say blank is a blank issue. And you just pick any two priorities for the Democrats. It very often be a, abortion is a healthcare issue, right? Or it could be abortion is a race and equality issue. Or it could be infrastructure is a gender equality. Or and what it is is that every priority of the Democratic Party is actually a reflection of these other priorities of the Democratic Party. And if you oppose one, you oppose all or something, which is all gobbledygook nonsense, but it always sounds good. And I think in the era of social media, it feels really good to a lot of people because it seems if, if you're a kind of person who doesn't really think too hard, it sounds profound to say uh, 5G is a racial equality issue. And you, I guess we're also going to go, hmm, yeah, wow, I never <laughs> thought about it. The reason you never thought about this is because it's not an equality issue. Like it's totally different. You know, there used to be this world in which these issues were separate and different but Democrats aren't necessarily qualified for it because what it is, is they, they know you like some ideas and they want to spot weld a whole bunch of other things. It's the same way you used to stick in lots of earmarks and other stuff that would never pass by itself. You take a popular idea, you take something that's got to get passed and then you shove as much stuff into there as possible. And that's how you get the stuff that you want, but you know, deep down aren't really that popular. And she, you know, Kirsten, the only difference kind of funny about this is how Kirsten Gillibrand is just transparently bad about it. And uh, this is the sort of thing I think that makes Iowans want to just brush past her to get some ranch. <laughs> that is the definitive moment of Kirsten Gillibrand's presidential campaign, which is uh, could not be more delicious. Kind of like ranch, uh, but she's almost the the polar opposite of Kirsten Cinema. We expected a, a knee jerk lib and got. I mean, she's still a lib, but she's at least uh, with us on process, at, at least for the moment with Cinema. Gillibrand, she was uh, appointed by New York Governor David Patterson to fill the seat of Hillary Clinton. She was from upstate. She was pro-gun. She was tough on the border. And most of the libs were just like, oh, we could have done so much better. And then sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, she lurched far to the left. And now uh, not only was she just pandering pathetically during her presidential bid, she's now at the point where she's just spewing out words that mean nothing. And maybe that's the Democratic uh, approach here, Jim. Uh, they don't necessarily believe that words have meaning or they think they mean whatever they want them to mean. But most likely, like you said before, they probably know that most Americans look at the news passing and they say, oh, infrastructure, that's good. And then we'll just throw all this into the pile and, and they'll never know the difference. It's the same way a COVID relief bill ended up having a whole bunch of stuff in it that wasn't really COVID relief. Well, let's talk about other things the left is uh, trying to do, whether it's government or big tech. Uh, they, they want your data, and uh, that's not good. I mean, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? In many ways, the internet and the big tech companies. Think about everything you've browsed, searched, 
watched, tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. So to keep your data private when you go online, turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know that there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or even get your consent. And one of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. So every time you turn ExpressVPN on, you're given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it much more difficult for third parties to identify you and harvest your data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button and you are protected. So if you're like us and you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash martini and get three extra months of protection for free. expressvpn.com slash martini. Go to expressvpn.com slash martini to learn more and to protect your data. All right, Jim, those of us old enough to remember the California recall of 2003, not only remember the glorious denunciation of Gray Davis tossed out on his ear less than a year after winning re-election, but of course the Arnold Schwarzenegger phenomenon, uh, the celebrities who got in, the Gary Coleman's, the uh, Larry Flint's, neither of which are obviously an option in the in the side race this year, because as you do the yes or no on Gavin Newsom, assuming it makes it to the ballot, there'll be uh, another race to replace him if, in fact, the recall succeeds. And so far, there hadn't been any uh, wacky names uh, emerge onto the scene yet until yesterday, where once Bruce, now officially Caitlyn Jenner, is apparently investigating and exploring a gubernatorial bid if, in fact, the uh, recall effort goes to the ballot. Now, as uh, we've said before with these Sorts of issues, uh, at least for me, Jim, I have less of a problem talking about someone's new name as opposed to the pronouns. I think biology is what it is. Uh, however, on the name thing, I once had a colleague who changed his name to Zoom Zoom and it was the director of the show. So I had to mention him in the credits and I said Zoom Zoom. So that's his name. But uh, as far as pronouns go, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in this Axio story, uh, why that's significant. But uh, what do you make of this process now? You've got plenty of political figures. Uh, Republicans, of course, haven't won a statewide race since Arnold, I don't think, which would be 2006. So uh, as this process gets going, the celebrities are already uh, taking a close look at this. Yeah. By the way, just as a, you know, aside to listeners, notice how often I use the term Jenner without any first name so that you just kind of just have to, don't want to deal with the arguments. Don't want to deal with the grief. Don't need the aggravation. If I just called this person Jenner, nobody can give many grief one way or the other. So Greg, the idea of the first trans governor of the United, in any state in the country, being a Republican and being a horse in California kind of feels delicious, kind of feels like the irony and the Democrats, you know, having to do that. But it's also observed that the, you know, that Jenner became one of the most, you know, popular celebrities and intensely covered and discussed and interviewed figures in American life for, for a really long stretch, right up until the moment that Jenner said that Jenner is a Republican. 
And I believe Jenner said that this person voted for Donald Trump. And I don't know about you, it felt like all of a sudden coverage of Jenner stopped. <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh wait, oh no, we, we can't celebrate you anymore. Whoa, 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 whoa. We are perfectly comfortable accepting Caitlyn Jenner as a woman. We are not comfortable accepting Caitlyn Jenner as a Republican voter. At that point, this is, this is now you're getting crazy. Although after a while, Greg, I mean, do we now have to start kind of wonder, was this, um, was this Kanye rubbing off on him? I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, Jenner may have been a Republican all along. Uh, I know that Jenner did not necessarily agree with all the Trump administration policies in those particular areas. But Kanye, of course, was uh, a very big Trump supporter. You remember the Oval Office conversation, the dragon energy that they shared. I'm kind of surprised it's not Kanye running for governor as a stepping stone to 2024. Uh, you know, entirely possible. So <laughs> anyway, this is uh, so there's a part of okay, here's the thing. The chances of Republicans, uh, I think the chances of the recall succeeding are not uh, not crazy. There's quite a bit of uh, opposition to Gavin Newsom and how he's managed the pandemic and how he's managed the state for you know building for quite a while. And it's not just Republicans. And there's a de- you don't end up with the numbers that Gavin Newsom has unless you've managed to really PO people beyond the Republican Party. Uh, in that state, which I believe holds its conferences in a, in a phone booth. That's a joke, people, because there are no such things as phone booths anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so the, uh, by the way, also uh, California, Newsom said he expects all economic activity in, in the state to be liberated and open for business by June 15th. Greg, isn't it amazing how the recall effort suddenly changed the nature of the pandemic? Yeah, restrictions seem to go along with uh, your political standing. Cuomo's gotten a little more lenient. Gretchen Whitmer's got a little more lenient. It's amazing how when elections get a little bit closer that uh, people suddenly hear all the criticism. But, yeah, now we should point out, that, you know, that particularly in California, the caseloads have gone down. It is, I don't want to give Gavin Newsom too much grief for doing what I want for doing what I want him to do, but I think we, it is kind of ironic. But so the, the, the recall could could succeed. The state party, Republicans are not in great shape. So the last time Republicans did manage to pull this off, they did so with a very famous figure known outside of the political realm. You know, by that standard, Caitlyn Jenner might well be the most competitive candidate that the Republicans in California could nominate. It would be kind of ironic. And I think, you you know, most Californians of the right or even center side of the persuasion would be like, Look, give me anybody who can push back in any direction. You know, uh, I, I I think we can argue that Arnold Schwarzenegger was not the grand conservative reformer that uh, a lot of folks wanted him to be. I think he did the best he could with a heavily Democratic state legislature that had, you know, despite all of the Conan sword and all that kind of stuff, really didn't have much fear of him, could override his vetoes and didn't really, you know, he didn't have that much uh, ability to influence things despite... Uh, uh, having reasonably high poll numbers at, during that time. But anyway, so I'm not really opposed to it. I wouldn't really have exceptionally high hopes for this. It would just be fun to see Democrats not getting something that they think that they deserve, that they think is theirs by birthright, and not being able to have the, the California governorship would kind of be, I don't know about you, Greg, it just kind of give me a warm, fuzzy feeling. 
Well, as we know from every other demographic group, Jim, it doesn't matter uh, if you're in that group, if you're a Republican, like you mentioned before, uh, if there's a strong black candidate, you know, John James got ghosted by the media. Uh, strong women, they did well in the House races, but they didn't get a lot of media attention. And so uh, just because Jenner checks a certain box, I don't think the media is going to uh, be much in in, in, uh, in Jenner's corner as a result of that. They'll probably be, uh, you know, uh, pushing hard for Newsom to stay in office. And then if, if not, uh, whatever Democrats uh, on the ballot. But in terms of the uh, pronoun things here, Jim, it, it matters in a lot of different ways, of course. But here's what Axios says. Jenner burst onto the national stage when she won the 1976 Olympic decathlon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what and what group was that in? It also says the she men's married- decathlon, right? <laughs> right. Yes, yes, yes. She won the men's decathlon. Talking about words, go back to the Gillibrand story. Oh, she also married into the Kardashian family in 1991. So... Uh, let your let your mind wrap around that verbiage. Uh, it's 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 wild. But uh, anyway, we'll see who else gets in the race. There's been rumors of Rick Grinnell. There's rumors of former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer. If I go back to 2003, I still think Tom McClintock was the best choice, but he probably would have run into the same legislature that Arnold did. So who knows what will happen? The odds are probably that Newsom survives anyway, but uh, let the circus begin of uh, famous people who think this is their chance to get a little more publicity. Because if there's anything the Kardashians need, Jim, it's more publicity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nothing going on with them lately, so... <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're very grateful for those uh, five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Tell your friends about us as well. Uh, Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. 